Turn with me to Genesis chapter 44. Genesis 44. Have you ever wondered what's happening in your life? You're wondering in your mind, what in the world is happening? Why is it this way? Did it ever uh, uh, maybe occur to you that it seems like someone's trying to tell you something? Uh, the way the events of life happen. Well, uh, that's kind of what's happening here today in this text. I've entitled it, entitled it The Test of the Silver Cup. And uh, uh, Joseph puts his brothers to another test here. But God uses strange ways to speak to the hearts of people. Now, I go to the Word of God. We don't have time to go through all of them. But just let me list a few of these. These are interesting. How did God get the attention of these various people? Uh, for instance, God used a burning bush to get the attention of Moses there in Exodus chapter 3. God used a donkey to speak to Balaam. I think that would get my attention if a donkey started talking. And God used the, the bleeding of some sheep to get a hold of the heart of a backslidden king. And, and then also, the, and that was King Saul. And then God used an empty meal barrel and a dead son to speak to the poor widow of Zarephath. God used a touch, a meal, a small, still voice to speak to the discouraged prophet Elijah. God used a small Israelite slave, a young girl, to speak to the, a great general named Naaman. God used a rooster to speak to the backslidden uh, preacher Peter. And we can go on and on for quite a while, but th this is just a few of them to give you an idea that God does use unusual ways to speak to various men and women alike. God knows you. God knows me. So God knows how to get our attention. And maybe the Lord has been trying to get your attention lately. I want, to, I want to encourage you to listen up. I want to encourage you uh, to, to be aware of what God wants to do in your life, from the youngest here to the oldest. And young people, yes, I do have expectations that you sit up, that you listen, as well as the older people. It doesn't matter the age. Sometimes we all get distracted, don't we? I mean, we get, and, and, and by the way, speaking of distractions, let's not bring those in with us whether it be a phone or whatever it may be, or shut it off, put it in your pocket, keep it there, and don't let it distract you because God is speaking. He may be trying to get your attention for some time. Are you listening? So God will use whatever means necessary to penetrate the hard heart uh, of humanity with the message that he wants for that particular person. And so um, after all these years, um, you know, here God, in this situation with Joseph, used a small, simple silver cup. Who would have ever thought? But boy, that cup opened up all the hearts of those ten men to the guilt that they had been carrying, to the sin that they had been trying to cover up for 20-some years. And so God knows how to speak to you and me as well today. And he will. He will expose things that we didn't want exposed. Why does he do those things? It seems so cruel. But he does that because he loves you and me. He does that because he wants us to be closer to him. 
and not be distracted, not to be drawn away by the things of this world. And so he will constantly be trying to uh, speak to us. Now he speaks to us through his word, no doubt about it. But also some of the events, the circumstances of life that get our attention. Um, sometimes we need that two by four upside our head just to get our attention, so to speak. But here this, this chapter unfolds like a mystery. And I want you to see how God used this simple silver cup to soften these heart, the hearts of these uh, brothers of Joseph. Let's begin reading there at Genesis 44, verse 1. And he command, commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put every man's money in his sack's mouth. And put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest, and his uh, um, corn uh, money. And he did according to the word and Joseph, uh, that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the uh, morning was light, the men were sent away, they and their asses. And when they were gone out of the city, and not yet far off, Joseph said unto his servant, excuse me, unto his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore have ye rewarded evil for good? Is not this it, it in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth? Ye have done evil in so doing. And he overtook them, and he spake unto them these same words. And they said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? God forbid that thy servants should do according to this thing. Behold the money which we found in our sacks, mouths, we brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. Now how then should we steal out of the Lord's house silver or gold? With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, both let him die, and we also will be my Lord's bondmen or slaves. And he said, Now also let it be according unto your words, he with whom it is found shall be my servant, and ye shall be blameless. Then they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground and opened every man his sack. And he searched and began the eldest, uh, began at the eldest and left, uh, left at the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they rent their clothes and laid at every man his ass and uh, returned to the city and Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house and for he was yet there and they fell before him on the ground and Joseph said unto them what deed is this that ye have done what ye not that such a man as I can certainly divine and Judah said what shall ye we say unto my Lord what shall we speak or how shall we clear ourselves God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants behold we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. And he said, God forbid that I should do so, but the man in whose hand the cup is found, he shall be my servant. And as for you, hit you up in peace into your unto your father. Then Judah came near unto him and said, O oh my Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ear. And let not thine anger burn against thy servant, for thou art even as Pharaoh. My Lord asketh his servant, uh, servant, saying, Have ye a father or a brother? And we said unto my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, a little one. And his brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother, and his father loveth him. And thou saidest unto thy servants, Bring him down unto me, that I may set mine eyes upon him. 
And we said unto my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, or if he should leave his father, uh, his father would die. And thou saidest unto thy servants, Except your youngest brother come down with you, ye shall see my face no more. It came to pass when we came up unto the servant, my, uh, my father, we, we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, Go again and buy us a little food. And we said, We cannot go down if our youngest brother be with us. Uh, and, and then will we go down. For we may not see the, men, the man's face except our youngest brother be with us. And thy servant, my father, said unto us, Ye know that my wife uh, bare me two sons, and the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn in pieces, and I saw him no, not since. And it, if ye take this also from me, and mischief befall them, ye shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to thy servant, my father, and the lad be not with us, uh, seeing that his life is bound up in the, la the lad's life, it shall come to pass when he seeth that the lad is not with us that he will die. And thy servant shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, If I bring him not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now therefore I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad, a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father, and the lad be not with me, lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father? Our Heavenly Father, help us to see in this passage here uh, an application that can be made to each of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I, I know it's a lengthy passage that we read, but I thought it was necessary just to get a little bit of the background of what's happening here in Genesis 44. And so again, uh, this uh, silver cup is uh, uh, hidden in one of the sacks. This is the conspiracy. This is the plan of Joseph in verses 1 through 9. Here these brothers had just enjoyed a great time of celebration. Uh, we read about that in chapter 43. And uh, the brothers still don't know who Joseph is, though Joseph knows who they are. Uh, he's given them many hints. Remember, he seated them all by age um, at the table. And he also gave Benjamin five times as great a food uh, than any of the brothers, uh, being his blood brother. And now the meal is over, and the next day has dawned. These guys are excited. Uh, they're feeling pretty good about themselves. They've come down. Uh, they've accomplished their mission. They've freed their other brother that was in bondage. They, they've also, they're bringing Benjamin back home. Their sacks are full of grain. Even their money was given back. So they're feeling pretty good. They are feeling pretty successful. They're heading home. They're excited about seeing their families. They're excited about uh, uh, just getting home with the children and such. But they didn't know that God was working behind the scenes once again. You know, God is always working on your life and mine. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're his child. He's working in your, you may not, not even know it until Something gets your attention. I, I don't know what that may be, but in this case, it was this silver cup. And so the morning dawns, they set out for home. And while the men are preparing to leave, Joseph, remember, he tells his steward there, he said, hey, uh, fill their sacks. I mean, give them as much as they can handle, as much as they can carry. 
And uh, so, and that's what he says there in verse 1. He tells him also to give the money back uh, to them. And so they, uh, uh, once again, all the money's given back. And then uh, he tells the steward to take his personal silver cup and put it in Benjamin's sack. And this is all a test. And so when they've been out, gone for a while on the road here, uh, suddenly the steward shows up, and the steward accuses them of, why did you reward good for evil? My, my master, Joseph, he didn't say Joseph, but he, Joseph, did good unto them, and why are you rewarding it for evil or with evil? And so he accuses them of stealing Joseph's cup there in verse 6, verse 7. The brothers try to deny this happened. They try to defend themselves, their honor, and they remind the steward, hey, we had plenty of money. We come with all this money ahead of time and to give back to, uh, uh, to your master, but... Uh, so we, why would we steal a cup, silver or gold from the house? We already had plenty of money. And they're so sure they're in innocence that they make some pretty, pretty uh, strong promises here. Hey, whoever is found in one of the, our, our brother's sacks, whoever it is, they deserve to die. Uh, they deserve, and the rest of us are going to be slaves. And so they were confident in their innocence. And so, uh, so sure that I'm sure as they begin to open the sacks, they're kind of smug, they're kind of maybe rolling their eyes, thinking this is a waste of time, there's nothing here. And uh, then as they open Benjamin's sack, can you imagine the, as the sun hit that silver and their hearts sank? Because there it was, the cup that was stolen. But it's interesting what comes to the minds of these men as they realize now the whole situation they've got to go back benjamin he might be put to death They're, we're all going to be slaves i mean it's a horrible thing my father's going to die but what did they think about they thought about joseph what we did god has done this uh because of our sin that we tried to cover up you know uh, ezekiel says be sure your sins will find you out and in this case it had and and years before, these men had conspired against Joseph. And they, they were trying to get rid of him. They were ready to do harm to him. And they had conspired to harm him for sure. But now the tables are turned. Now, uh, uh, but unlike his brothers, Joseph is not conspiring to harm them. Joseph is conspiring to do them good. And to, uh, uh, he's conspiring for their good. Remember, there are no accidents in your life, Christian. None at all. Everything that happens in your life and mine, there is a reason. There is a purpose behind it. I admit, there are things that's happened in my life. I don't have all the answers. Of course, still don't. We may not know until we get to glory, but I do know that there is a reason. There is a purpose. So what is God doing to try to get your attention today as he was trying to get the attention of these men. I, he had their attention now, full force. And uh, so there's no accidents. As a child of God, every event in life is a product of divine providence. Um, we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So God is working out his will in your life in, in ways that I cannot begin to comprehend. Uh, his ways are higher, as Isaiah said, uh, than our ways. So this, this even includes the way God deals with our sin. And there are times 
that we allow that sin, whatever it may be, that little pet sin, we allow it to abide in our lives. And if nothing's happened, we're thinking, well, you know, no, no judgments, no lightning has struck me down, so I must be okay. And so we, we convince ourselves of our, it's okay, we put it out of our minds and, and uh, that, uh, you know, it's something we just don't want to deal with. And we allow sin to abide in our life and it grows and uh, that, that to, to sin's presence to the point where it's no longer, you know, it, it's there so long it doesn't bother us anymore. We're not convicted by it anymore. And we're thinking, well, since God didn't stop me, he must be okay with me uh, doing this particular sin. Maybe that's what happened to some of these men. Uh, they thought, well, this is so many years ago. If God was really angry with us, he would have dealt with us before then, and he had. And I, I think now at this point, no one has this kind of attitude. They're all now at this point saying, God, I am guilty. It, we are all guilty of sin uh, against our family, against you. And so our, we, we may, again, we may think we're getting away with, but, away with it, but God knows exactly when and how to speak to our hearts. Don't think that you're getting away with anything. God knows you. God knows me. And God knows how to get a hold of our hearts. And when the time is right, he, he knows what buttons to push, and he knows how to humble us and to bring us to the place where we repent. And so now we've all, we all have a, a heart string. There's something in our life, something in our life that if God were to touch it, if God were to take it away from us, that would truly get our attention. And so for David, for instance, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, it was that little baby that died that got David's attention. Or you can read about his repentance in Psalm 51. And for Abraham, it was his son Isaac. God knows how to get our attention, and he's not afraid to take away some things in our life to get our attention and to speak to our hearts. Now, he has a silver cup, you could say, that um, he will place in our lives to open our eyes when we are... Um, when we have tried to cover it up, tried to ignore it, that sin, until we are ready to repent. Now, it's always best if we just understand we have sinned, confess our sin, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But God will, will settle for nothing less than total confession and repentance. Remember Achan? Boy, we, th we think we can hide our sin. We can get it out of the out of sight, out of mind, and no one knows. But God knew, and Achan paid a dear price in his entire family. The best thing that you and I, as a believer, can do uh, with sin is to get it out in the open. And what I mean by that is to get out in the open with God. Say, God, I have sinned. Confess it as sin. Don't try to sugarcoat it. Don't try to justify it or rationalize it. Just be open with God. See it as he sees it. Confess it, agree with him, and then um, you will see, receive forgiveness. So the best thing you can do with sin is hate it, forsake it, and then uh, confess it to God. So when we refuse to do just that, there are going to be there's uh, there's going to be a high price to pay um, 
for our disobedience. Well, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. If you're one of his children, God is going to chasten you, going to discipline you. Now, you, you don't lose your salvation, but you lose that fellowship, and he's going to do whatever it takes to get you in the right place uh, uh, with him. Proverbs 13, 15 says, The way of the transgressor is hard. You ever seen a young person that's been on drugs for several years? Especially this meth. Some people, are, they're, they're, they're just ruined their lives. And it's hard. Uh, you know, your heart goes out to them. Uh, they've become that thing that they thought was going to bring satisfaction and, and maybe help them deal with the problems of life has now ended up enslaving them. But, oh, you talk to a person that has been a victim of drugs or alcohol, and they say the way of a transgressor is hard. That alcohol, those drugs, we're no friend at all. That way of the world has not been kind to them. It's hard on them. It can make a very young person look old. The way of the transgressor is hard. God is in the process. Listen, we, we may not understand it, but that's what's happening in these verses here with Joseph and his brothers. He's trying to get their attention. And God is trying to get your attention, Christian. If you're not living for him, if you know you're not doing the right thing, what God wants you to do, or you're doing uh, uh, the exact opposite, you're in disobedience to him, God still loves you. That love will never change. But he's going to do what it takes to get your attention. He wants you to be in a right fellowship with him. God is in the process of waking them up and bringing them back, these men, to him. So the con conspiracy. I want you to see the confrontation that takes place here. In verses 10 through 13, the sacks are open. They search them. And um, again, these uh, men are kind of annoyed by this. They think there's nothing here. And they, in their own minds, that's what was true. But uh, this was a setup. And uh, then... Benjamin's sack, they find that in there, and there's nothing but disbelief. Um, and th this is the moment of truth here for these men. Joseph's final test of his brothers here. At all this time, Joseph has been testing these men to see whether or not it's real. Have they changed, or are they just going through the motions? Uh, they know what to say or how to behave in, in certain situations, but when this happens, Oh, there's no way they can fake it. This was real. And uh, th there are some serious consequences they're looking at. And, and they don't look out for number one here. They're, as a, they're all, all these brothers are acting as one together. And they face it together. And so uh, they brought Benjamin uh, as Joseph requested. They returned their, uh, uh, Joseph returned their brother Simeon. They even returned all the grain money that they had had uh, uh, taken the first time. And so, but this is definitely the ultimate test. 22 years earlier, they hated Joseph. They wanted, some of the brothers wanted to kill him. At the very least, they all wanted to get rid of him. He, they, uh, they didn't want Joseph around at all. And so they did, they threw him in a pit, they ended up selling him into slavery, and all this happened to him. And uh, now they have the opportunity to get rid of the other son of Rachel. The other son that now has taken Joseph's place because with Jacob, he loved Joseph, he did, better, more so than all the other brothers. And now it's, it's Benjamin. 
he's the one of the, the Rachel who he really loves and uh, uh, who had these children. And, and so now Joseph's putting them to this ultimate test concerning Benjamin. And, and so they, uh, they had maintained that lie to their father about Joseph. Joseph is dead, was killed by wild animals. And now they have an opportunity to get rid of even the other son of Rachel. And what would they do? It's, a, it's clear Jacob loves Benjamin even more because he's kind of taking the place of Joseph than all the other brothers. And all they have to do is allow Benjamin to stay there in Egypt and go back home. And now, yeah, it'll break the heart of dad, but we know he, he'll get over it in time. Uh, time will heal all wounds, but that's not the response. It could have been. Maybe Joseph was wanting to see, is there really a change that has taken place in these men? And these men didn't know it, but they're about to reveal to Joseph what kind of men they have become um, by passing this test, really, with flying colors. They don't know how the cup got there in Benjamin's sack, and at this point, that really didn't matter. And it's there. And so what did they do? They are determined to face whatever comes all together. They didn't just throw Benjamin to the wolves and say, well, yeah, have him. Let's go home. No, they said, oh, we're all, all guilty. We're all wrong. And they, they teared their clothes as a sign of grief, and they faced the music as one. There are no accusations thrown at one another. There's no compromises. There is simply a universal, a universal resolve uh, to, uh, uh, by their, their brothers here and to stand with Benjamin. So what we see here is a, pit, a picture of ten men who have definitely changed from what they were. Let me ask you, do people see that change in you? I, I mean, do people say, you're not the person, maybe you meet somebody you haven't been around for a long time, and say, man, you something different about you. You're not the person I knew back then. Why, why is that? Because God has been working in your life. You have been growing spiritually. That's what has happened with these men, and they still haven't dealt with the sin, but that's what's going to happen here. And God uses these men as a result later on when they get things com completely right with him. And so here, these men, they're facing the consequences together. Unlike with Joseph, they didn't care what happened to him took away it in slavery, gone home. The only part of togetherness there was to lie together and to, uh, to, to put up this story uh, that, uh, with their father that Joseph had been killed by wild animals. So these men have grown to the point they can see beyond themselves. They have a desire to do right, and, and regardless of the personal cost, they're going to do the right thing, and that's the place God wants each and every one of us today to reach. He wants us to, to come to the place where we... Stop making excuses. You know, uh, and today we're living in a society that that's all they do is make excuses for their behavior. Well, they can't help it. They're, look what they were went through as a child. Uh, it's not their fault. And so no one's at fault. Everyone's got excuses. But God wants us to get to the place where we stop making them, where we're willing to own up to our sins. And God wants us to stop pointing the fingers at everyone else and say, Lord, it's me that's here in the need of prayer. It's me that has sinned against you. Now, I, I can't blame my 
evil that's in my life on my wife. I can't blame it on my environment. I can't blame it on my neighbors. I can't blame it on anything but me. No, the devil can't make me do anything. I sin of my own free will. So do you. So we can't blame. And, and that's where these men have come. That's where God wants all of us to come, to the place where we're honest with him, where we're transparent with him. We're saying, Lord, we have sinned. Not, it's not my brother. It's not anyone else. It's me, Lord. And that's all these brothers at this, at this point are standing together with such an attitude. And so I, if I'm going to have the power of God in my life, I have to do the right thing. If we want God's power and presence in the church, then the preacher's got to get right with God. The people have to get right with God. There cannot be any of us saying, well, hey, I, you know, I have arrived here. If everyone was like me, then, boy, we'd be in a better place. No, if everyone was like Jesus, yes, but not like me. We all stand in need here. We're all people that are, are people that are sinners. We're we're, we have that old nature, and we have to deal with that sin. These men did. Took them a long time. Just reminds us, God doesn't forget. It, you might have swept it under the carpet, so to speak, but God already knows about it. And whether you, if you don't deal with it, he will. And so, I, I, again, I want to be in that place, that place where um, I'm willing to do the right thing regardless of the cost. So God's not afraid to confront you and me when there's sin in our lives. And in fact, he's willing to put that silver cup in our life to wake us up, to get our attention, whatever it may be. These brothers are facing the things that they are facing because God is determined to get their attention and to bring them back to a right relationship with him. God wants them to be right with him. And, and God wants you and I to be right with him. You say, well, Pastor, I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah, you can, but it's going to come back to you. Be sure your sins will find you out. Be sure that God is going to be working, trying to bring you back to a right relationship with him. Again, the best thing we can learn to do is to keep short accounts with God. Confess our sins daily, immediately and completely and honestly before God. And then the last point here I want to bring uh, from this passage is, so we saw the conspiracy where Joseph uh, has the cup hidden in their uh, sack in Benjamin's, and then they, they were confronted by the steward and by Joseph himself. And then thirdly, the confession. In verses 14 through the end of the chapter here, these brothers arrive back at Joseph's place and realize Joseph's still hanging around there. And no doubt, Joseph was waiting to see who would show up. Was it going to be just Benjamin, or was it going to be all the brothers? Were they going to just forsake Benjamin, let him be taken, or were they all going to come back? And so when the brothers appear before Joseph, they bow themselves before the on the ground there before Joseph, again, reminding Joseph of answered prayer, of God's promise that they would all bow before him. And he leads them to believe that he was able to see what they were, had done because of the ability to divine. Now, Joseph is just, you know, kind of tightening the screws on his brothers. Divination was a, a very popular practice among the Egyptians, but not something that uh, Joseph practiced. 
and uh, diviners, they would take a silver cup, they'd put wine in it, jewels and, and um, in, in the wine, and they would read the jewels like some people read uh, tea leaves or something. And of course, this does not work. Divination does not work. And Joseph was not practicing this kind of magic or, or black magic, whatever you may call it. So here at this point, Judah steps up. Judah is the one that has uh, God truly been working on. He's become a leader among his brothers. And he steps up and he, uh, he, he gives a pr very profound, a very eloquent speech, probably one of the more eloquent and profound speeches in the Bible. It's, it's a great speech here. He reveals just how far Judah, uh, or the, this speech reveals how far he's come, how much he has grown as a man. Um, Judah confesses their sin. He doesn't name names here, uh, but he does confess the fact that they had sinned and that God was punishing them for this sin. And so he uh, seems to believe that they are about to face slavery in Egypt. Uh, again, a direct result of the unconfessed sin that was on all ten of those brothers' hearts. And he offers himself, along with all the rest of the brothers, that to be Joseph's servant. Verse 17, Joseph refuses Judah's offer. He tells him, you guys can go home, keep leave Benjamin here. He's going to be my servant, my slave. And then the heart of Judah speaks here. Uh, he reminds Joseph that the only reason that they brought Benjamin is because he requested it. And, and Judah offers himself. He said, listen, I'll stay. Let Benjamin and my brothers go. I will stay. I will pay the price. And he offers to stay there as a slave to uh, Joseph. And, and so this is the moment that Joseph really has been waiting for. The moment where his brothers are repentant. They want to get right. They realize they have sinned. They thought there was nothing they could do to ever get right with Joseph. Joseph's probably dead. But they, they did want to get right with God. And so he sees they've changed. He sees that they're willing to stand together as one man rather than all pointing the fingers at others. And they had the chance to turn their backs on Benjamin, but they did not do that, and they would not do it. They will die before they do that. And so Judah, or Judah he, he stands up. He, uh, he uh, puts his father first. He puts his, his uh, brother Benjamin, as well as all of his brothers, before himself, unlike the nature we saw before. And this, I think, is a, a major turning point in the story here. Um, when Joseph hears Judah's confession, when Joseph hears the love that, that Judah has for his brothers and for his father, he, he, he can take no more. He can't go through the pretend uh, side anymore. And, and Joseph breaks down before his brothers. He reveals his identity to them. Lord willing, next time we meet together, we'll talk about that, which is a great story. But um, there's a lesson here that I want to leave with you, and I think that all of us need to take to heart. And Judah shows us how sin is to be handled. Now, I want you to think about these couple things. Sin, by its very nature is a very selfish thing. When sin entered the world, it entered because Eve was selfish. She chose herself over God, Genesis chapter 3. When sin entered the universe, it, in, it entered through selfishness. It was Satan who said, I, well, I, don't, I forget how many times in that passage in Isaiah, but he wanted to be above God. It was all about himself. It was all selfishness. 
And uh, so our sins, they are all about us. When we sin, we choose ourselves over every individual around us. We choose ourselves over God. And we are saying, I want what I want, and I don't care what the consequences are. I want what I want. Sin is a very selfish act. And the only way that we're going to be able to be victory or have victory over our sin, to get rid of our sin, is to deal with it God's way. Confess it, make it as a sin, repent of that sin, and let God cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The only way to get past sin is to deal with it honestly. Judah, he had to come to a place where he confessed his sins, where he wasn't, he wasn't trying to justify it anymore. He was admitting he was wrong in what he had done. Um, confessed it openly. Confessed it early. Get it right with God today if there's sin in your life. In, in 3 John verse 4, John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And Joseph, after all these tests that he gave his brother, had such joy in his heart that they were walking in truth now. They were doing the right thing. And that's, you know, the same feeling that, uh, that has gripped our the same feeling a, a preacher gets or a parent gets when those that are sitting under your teaching or your, your leadership will follow the teachings and the principles and the, and the uh, truths of the Word of God. No greater joy than that. Boy, it breaks the heart of any preacher or any parent when that individual you're trying to put your life to forsakes God and walks a different way. And so these brothers were ready to make things right. Let me ask you this. Are you growing today in the Lord? You see, just a couple of questions here. I thought, how, how close? Um, just bring all these thoughts together here. Are you growing in the Lord? How, how would you know if you're growing? Well, you can know you're growing in your relationship with God if you begin to hate sin. If you begin to uh, tell the truth about your sin, then you know you're growing. That you're more concerned about others than you are about self. Are there sins in your life that need to be confessed? Maybe you need to get together with God this morning and get things right and uh, with deal with the sin. Let God deal with it. Maybe you need to go to someone else that you have hurt, someone you have wronged, and uh, confess that hurt to them. And then thirdly, are you afraid there may be a, a silver cup in your future? What I'm saying is a time when you're going to be exposed it maybe not be to everyone else, but you're, you know, you're going to realize that God knows what you've done, and God wants you to deal with it. Did you know that if that sin is on your mind today, it's the Holy Spirit that's bringing it to your mind because He wants you to get right with Him. In my opinion, it's far better to come before the Lord and humbly confess our sin, to repent of that sin, than to wait for Him to do something. If that describes you today. You don't need to confess any sins to this preacher. You don't need to tell anyone, for that matter, unless you have wronged them. But you do need to talk to God. Do business with him. Let God have his way. Let's have every head bowed, every eye 